0: Senior executives know that to stay on top of your game, you need to constantly challenge and develop yourself. IMI's new senior executive experience delivers future-focused learning. Gain invaluable tools and insights in areas like organizational resilience and digital transformation to shape the future of your organization. Visit imi.ie for details.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ian Curens, who is an organizational psychologist and management consultant helping businesses shape and implement strategies for a digital era. In 2005, Ian co-founded Advanced Organization, a consultancy and capability development firm specializing in strategy, innovation, and change. Ian recently co-authored a book entitled, Innovative Growth, The Journey from A to B While Building C. So today we're going to have a conversation about innovation in business. So Ian, can you tell us a bit about yourself and about your new book?
0: Great, well look, thanks very much Farah, delighted to be here. And to, to talk to you and your listeners. So, yeah, me, I mean, about 25 years kind of working since my kind of first kind of graduate degree in organizational psychology. And you know, my space is really helping companies simply develop and grow. Um, about one-third of my time is with in the academic environment, researching companies and in particular teaching mainly senior executives uh, in Ireland and around Europe around this kind of combination of strategy, innovation and change that we kind of call innovative growth. So that's that's kind of one third of my time, and then the other two thirds of my time is actually working with those companies of different sizes, mainly established companies, mainly companies that have been around for at least 10 and typically 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, who often kind of get stuck not stuck, but flatlined in their growth, and therefore really look back to innovation as a way to create a new uh, cycle of growth. So that's um, a lot of what to do with my consultancy uh, area. I started in the US with some of the big firms like Accenture and smaller firms like Diamond Technology Partners, which was a digital strategy firm that played in between the space between McKinsey, which is very much a strategy consultancy, Accenture was very much kind of a digital uh, technology implementation firm and and I just mentioned that because it was 20 years ago and it was kind of during the dot-com boom and bust and we got to see, we had clients, great clients like Goldman Sachs and John Deere and GM and National Geographic and at that time it was digital online print for the National Geographic, it was telematics for the auto industry Uh, and a lot of the things that we're seeing today had begun back then, uh, um, but we were at the very, very early stages, you had the dot-com bust. Also, um, uh, uh, and that kind of taught me a bit about venture capital, uh, corporate venture capital in that space. Um, And really, I came home, did an MBA, um, uh, worked as an independent consultant. Worked with some other great independent consultants in Ireland, uh, IMI alumni people like Eddie Malloy and Ed Delaney, really strong in the space of strategy uh, and and change in particular, and kind of you know my forte and their forte and kind of the forte of the independent consultant who's in academia and consulting is, is not to try and give clients the answer, but really to kind of develop the capability in house so that they come up with their own unique solutions that they own and have a great chance of success. So that's kind of my background, I'm fortunate to work with great people and I'll just end on the last one which is Keith Goffin who I wrote the book with uh, and I really kind of sought him out back in 2007 and 8 when I was really, you know, innovation is kind of like my, my, my first big interest and passion uh, and he was a professor at the time at Cranfield University now in Stockholm School of Economics and worked with him and did my PhD with him very much on the topic of the book, which is innovation management for established businesses.
1: Great, it's brilliant to get that background and you obviously have such a strong foundation in innovation. And we know that innovation is crucial in various different stages of a business, but I guess it can be a different form of innovation that might be needed at different times. So can you tell us a bit about different stages of a business's life cycle and how innovation plays into each of those life cycle stages?
0: Great, yeah, no great question and, and it kind of sets up the frame for, for our conversation because you know, businesses, uh, I've talked about the age of businesses and studying how businesses develop and grow but it's, it's pretty much proven businesses go through these common stages now how fast they go through them the ups and downs and the pace of their success in these stages is going to vary wildly but generally the metric that's called performance could be revenue it could be growth um, it could be profits it could be market share but it's usually some something you can tie back to a a, a commercial uh, or financial measure so that's kind of usually the, the, the vertical axis so the other axis then is time and in the beginning, um, startups, we think of people in their bedrooms, anywhere in the country of Ireland, uh, or their dorm rooms in North America, or their garages, the case may be, you know, their kind of role in life is really kind of finding a problem in the market, and the problem is the opportunities. The problem is, I want more of this, I want less of that, I want something that I don't have today, I want a better version of what I, uh, what I, what I have today, uh, and that they have a solution for that. And the startup, you know, we typically think of them as leveraging new capabilities, typically technology. So we think of, you know, in every country around the world, there's 20 odd drone startups who are talking about delivering from a bag of chips to a full-blown meal to your house uh, using that kind of technology, artificial intelligence, huge hot topic at the moment, you know, from chatbots to writing essays to um, actually giving, you know, uh, the mass market good advice on wealth management. So, you know, we think of it around these kind of technology areas our are biopharma, creating new medicines, curing cancer, uh, gene therapy, and what have you. And the startup's world, innovation, strategy, it's all one and the same. It's pure innovation. Uh, and we call this the white space. Things aren't laid out. There's not a clear roadmap. There are steps they can go through, of course, but it's unclear whether customers are gonna want this, whether it's gonna work, whether they can find a market. So they move out of that stage when eventually they find what we call product market fit, our problem solution fit, that, that somewhere, somebody, a body of people want this uh, solution to meet their needs. The next phase moving out of the white space is actually can they build a business model that's scalable. Can they basically wrap around a delivery system? The people, the offices, the manufacturing, if that's the case, the services, the technology, the, the resources and capabilities, things you own and things you do, to scale that offering into the market in a way that is profitable in a reasonable time frame. We call that the grey space because it's starting to kind of fill in Add a bit of color they're still pivoting and refining and then the third stage is known as success This is where every company uh, wants to get to and where every company wants to stay and this is when the performance is at its highest It's growing at a good level. They're making profits Standard phrases number one two or three in your market is going to be the ones that make the most money so companies here they call this the black space because it's very well defined and we've got routines and it's more about optimising and, and, and efficiencies as opposed to the new thing. Uh, the language here is kind of defending and incrementally extending and making sure you don't get taken over by direct competitors and your you know, incremental improvements or new products or add-ons or what have you. So this is where you want to stay and it's known as the black space. Typically, uh, uh, there's a there's a fourth stage which companies can go into which knows decline because what happens is we get fixed on optimizing what we have and the world keeps continuing to change as the saying goes if it isn't broken don't fix it so oftentimes the business can go into decline now business schools love to talk about companies that have gone extinct and Blockbuster versus Netflix and Kodak versus Instagram and what have you. And these are great lessons in these companies Are Nokia and the smartphone. You know, there's great lessons in them. But the reality is, is companies can live a very long time. And pretty much, while most companies don't go extinct, nearly every company will go into some level of decline. And, and therefore, there's this fifth stage, which is called renewal. And renewal is creating a new growth cycle. And you're doing this from a position of the black space, which is where you have your business model, where it's working to a greater or lesser degree. If it's in decline, it may be stalling, or the margins may be shrinking, or the growth may be slowing, or in reverse. So at that point, to create a new cycle of growth, and here's the thing, is that you rarely can just do all black space incremental innovation. You have to step back into the white space, have a long-term vision of where this market is going, what you're really good at, where it could possibly open up, and then what are all the gray space moves in between, the adjacent moves, the stepping stones that move you towards that greater vision. So in a word, you know, knowing where you are in that business life cycle is important because where a startup is unconstrained by its creativity, it's constrained by the lack of resources and typically their focus is getting funding and finding customers. Later on, you know if you're one of these giants people talk about innovation everybody's going to say it's going to be meta it's amazon it's google it's netflix it's anything to do with Elon Musk you know, these big giants and they have a whole different set of apparatus instruments lots of resources to grow and those that do it really well grow in that white black and gray space so that's overall recognizing that you know on the front end it's kind of quite can be quite Innovative, not necessarily radical technology, but often combined, different new business model. Later on, it's a combination of improvement, incremental innovation, but also looking at more radical innovation that could lead to new business models and completely new businesses.
1: It's really interesting to hear, and I think a lot of our listeners can probably position their own organization somewhere within that white space, the gray space or the black space, and hopefully not the decline phase, but maybe they can ramp back up to that fifth phase that we talked about. So I wanted to talk a bit about the people in the middle. So not quite the startups in someone's garage and not quite the Metas or the Coca-Colas of the world, but the people in the middle, those mid-level, mid-sized kind of businesses, how can they embrace innovation and how does that differ from the ways of the startups and those huge corporate giants?
0: Yeah, great great question and this is very much the focus of our book and you know the startup as i said you know, they're thinking kind of 360 innovation from the get go uh, whereas the corporation the large corporation with a lot of resources they do things like they'll have a corporate innovation methodology so in a fast moving consumer goods company like a P&G or Diageo They'll focus on products and formats, and innovation for them means really you know, new products and new customer insights and need states and, and, and working in these very well-defined domains. They'll also have, you look at uh, you go out to Google or Google X in, in, in the Bay Area in California, they'll have Google X, which is a pure, you know, long-range, it's a lab, it's looking at 10, 15, 20 years out. Hewlett Packard Lab is very famous. HP was the Apple of the past. you are looking at 20, 30 years of where technology is gonna go. So they've got these structures and the luxury to look at these long time frames. Um, and then they also do a lot of acquisition. They see something that's working, they buy, it can we plug it into our current business, or is it gonna give us like Instagram or WhatsApp? Is it gonna give us a whole new um, possible service offering uh, in a related area for us? Mid-sized businesses, It's kind of a very interesting segment. Uh, In North America, they're called the unsung heroes. Uh, They're the hidden champions in Germany. uh, The mighty middle, they're called, in the UK. These companies, and there's different definitions of sizes. In Europe, people will know of SMEs, small, medium enterprises. Really, a midsize is at the upper end of that. Typically, it's between 100 people, and we'd say up to about 1,000 people. And you could even think of it of you know close to 100 million up to about a billion and wouldn't be precious about where it starts and it stops the key thing is is they have certain traits that are ripe for innovation which is they can make fast decisions they have a single management team who's responsible for growth that more often they're not they're not publicly traded therefore they can take a longer view as opposed to markets demanding year-on-year growth um, they have a real depth in a technological capability. Uh, whether it's making machines, whether it's services, whether it's knowledge management, they have strong local connections embedded in their communities where they, you know, where they are based around Europe, but also have a very strong export focus. So these companies, they're ripe for growth, but they don't have the, you know, resources of these giants to spend all this time with all these different instruments that I mentioned earlier on, around innovation. They still have probably an entrepreneurial DNA. They're often family uh, businesses, and and again, often not professionally managed, um, uh, second, third, fourth generation. Um, But what they do uh, uh, struggle with is, is on the first instance, is that they want to get into more innovation and they're just bombarded by this kind of tsunami of innovation tools. You know, these new hot topics on top of these proven classics. Uh, and they just don't have the time to wade through all of these. This is one of the things Keith and I kind of was a pet peeve of ours is that like every time you look at innovation, you know, there's you something new. And a lot of it's stuff that's uh, renovated and uh, renamed and rebranded. And other stuff like, you know, what's going on with AI and what have you, it's very, very new and it warrants um, stepping back and really looking at what it can do. For your business but they don't have the time to go through all the tools there so our kind of antidote to that was to give them the Pareto principle these are the 20% of tools you really need to know in an integrated way and when we talk about you know the, the framework that's there there's essentially five plus one so six phases um, and we've got 36 tools and the key tools in each to bring it together for them the other thing is that governments tend to Neglect these companies, even though, uh, because there's only about one to two percent of companies that are actually what we call mid-sized businesses. That said, uh, on average, they're somewhere between twenty and thirty-five percent of contribution to GNP, and they also employ you know, around in Ireland the cases I think it's around thirty percent and thirty-five percent towards GNP. So in Ireland, there's about a thousand of these companies. Um, they're in the middle because they're not the giants. They have the absolute potential to grow. Uh, they have a single management team, as I said, but again, they're often stuck by you know where do I start? What's new? You know, they suffer by you know maybe engaging people that they know, but they have kind of one piece of the puzzle around maybe their technology specialists or their engineers. And they don't have a broader view. Um, and the other thing that happens uh, with them is is that. Um, And it's quite natural. They tend to focus on improving what they have. And everybody in general, but especially mid-sized businesses, get very uncomfortable with looking at long-term, far-out opportunities that they feel are very risky and going to be very expensive. And that's actually one of the myths is that it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Thank you so much, Ian. I think a lot of our listeners probably work within organizations or lead organizations that fall within that middle. So I think this is particularly interesting to them. And I want to pick up on a stat that you men- mentioned there about 20% of innovation tools. So within your book, you mentioned that applying 20% of the innovation tools and techniques available should give you about 80% of the results. So I guess the big question is. How can an organization identify which 20% they should be using in their business?
0: What we've given is is a framework and it's probably worth talking about that, that framework to give you a sense of it. But the framework like Scaffold says, you know, um, um these are the big pieces that you need. And this is something that Keith actually and his colleagues about thirty years ago identified. This is constantly all this research about innovation, latest tools, latest techniques, um, methodologies, and what have you. But really, you know, those that were really successful have about five parts to it. And the first part is: do you have an innovation strategy? And, and, and that's really around a strategy for growth tied to the business strategy. The second part is: are you organized? Do you have the People, the structure, can teams come together? Can they, can, they, can they assimilate knowledge? Can they move through the phases? Can they disband, work on new projects, go back to their business as usual jobs over time? Do we have a, a, a commitment to innovation in terms of how we work, our mindsets, our values, and most importantly, do we measure it? So, one is strategy in the top piece, and the bottom piece is around organization and then you have the three middle pieces that people think of which is around insights and ideas portfolio management how do I pick the winners over the losers and then how do I get my innovations whatever they may be product service process new business models what's the right tools to get them there so that scaffold says well that's where I need to put my tools your question is which are the right tools to go in there And i think it's it's we're not proposing that our 36 tools are the absolute you know ones that you all have to have there's going to be other tools because different companies have different specialties digital data insights going to mean you know more important things for some companies over others um certain you know stage gate is going to be much more appropriate for pharmaceutical companies at a very kind of Rigid and regulation and a much more kind of formal process versus agile development of software, but what we do do is we 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 pull out the main ones, including the ones that I've just mentioned, and show how they work together. And if there's a variety of that tool that's more suited for your domain or your industry, so be it. Go get it. But what we're really giving is kind of like these meta tools, and I can get into some of those tools and techniques in those different phases. But we'd be confident that these are kind of like the Pareto Principles. These are the ones you want to have, absolutely add to them, absolutely subtract or use different versions of them. But we've, we've looked back at the research over the last 25 years, and the kind of key tools that have been developed. Uh, and, and the trick is here is they've got to work together in an integrated fashion. Another kind of just pet peeve is, is that something becomes popular for the last few years it has been design thinking. And then suddenly that's the answer. But design thinking does a number of amazing things, but it doesn't do everything. It doesn't do portfolio management. It doesn't do innovation strategy in the true sense of the world. You know, it, it does do insights and it does do getting things to market, but then it's, it's it's got its limitations, so you need a whole set.
1: I think that's really interesting to hear. And something you mentioned there is mindset. And I think that really plays into a lot of what we teach here at IMI because it's very often about creating the right mindset amongst leadership in order to make a transformation or implement innovation or whatever it might be. So to quote you in in the book... Typical mindset issues that emerge during the innovation journey are blanket thinking, people staying in their comfort zone, and decision making that is unknowingly influenced by feelings. So, how can leaders start to be conscious of those pitfalls and try to avoid them? And in doing so, cultivate the right mindset for themselves and their teams?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we, we make a big emphasis on mindsets in the book and surprisingly it's, it's, it's one of these terms and words that's used an awful lot and especially now there's been a lot more focus on behavioral economics and neuroscience mindsets it's worth just, just simply kind of breaking it down really refers to how people think, feel and ultimately behave and, and, and a collection, be it a department, a team, a sports team, a business team um, be it even an organization, the kind of where we have shared mindsets really is kind of reflective of what we often call the culture, you know, this is how we do things around here. And people will say, hey, have you got an open mindset or a closed mindset or a positive mindset or a negative mindset or have you got a growth mindset to call it, to the term from Carl Dweck or a fixed mindset, which really is referring to my ability to learn. And a growth mindset and learning are really one and the same thing. The thing to remember is that basically, in the simplest way, as human beings, when we learn something and it works, we reinforce it. It's positive reinforcement. And we do it again. And that's how we learn. That's how we learn. We can't relearn everything every day. So we develop a, in this situation, this works. In my day-to-day job, I'm really great at this you know, something slightly different happens, I try something slightly different, it works great, now I know, pattern recognition, like AI, that this works in this situation, so I can use that again and again and what have you over time. What happens is the more we do something, uh, the more expert we get at it to a point where we do it automatically, unconsciously. We don't even have to think about it. And that is great for doing things when things are, you know, to get that efficiency, uh, to do things again and again, to excel, to do high performance in a particular space. Innovation, by its very definition, is doing something new. And therefore, if I'm gonna just apply how I do something today to something that is probably demonstrably newer or different than 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 the inputs that I'm getting heretofore, then oftentimes our kind of intuition and our automatic, the things that we're great at they become challenged. And, you know, at a very simple kind of chemistry level, kind of being right as a person, it feels good. When you learn something, it feels good. When you get an A in your exam, when you you complete a certain task and it works, it feels good and that's, you know, dopamine at play. Or you have an argument where you stand up and pitch a business and you fight for it and it gets the investment, that's being, that's dopamine and that's adrenaline. You know, two very powerful combinations of chemicals, there where you're satisfied and you feel powerful, you feel strong. So, we like to be, uh, we like to be right. Uh, it feels good. Uh, and we don't like to be wrong. So, when we experience things that are out of our comfort zone, and I, I'm using it a lot, lately, it's just so topical, the, 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 the new strategy came out in the country of Ireland on AI today. But, you know, when we, when we, when we, something that we don't, we tend to either avoid it. Or we tend to try and treat it as we treat other things. Uh, and we just don't have enough knowledge around it. And therefore, it becomes quite uncomfortable for us. And therefore, we tend not to engage with it. And that's where we have blinkered thinking, meaning you know, I don't need to engage with my customers in new and different ways that take a lot of time and effort to understand. Because I know what my customers want. I talk to them every day. I meet them in our meetings. We go for dinner, what have you. And they tell me. And I know what they want. And we're all very comfortable in our current relationship. But it's when that changes, we can become blinkered and we can stay in our comfort zone. And oftentimes we can make decisions that, you know, when you see people making big decisions around innovation, they get nervous. And and rightly so, because there's, there's a level of fear there. Am I making the right decision? Very much, especially the more radical it gets, with a lot of imperfect knowledge, a lot of assumptions, a lot of risk associated with that. So the thing around the mindset is, is we've got to get to your question then was, well, how do you get people more comfortable with it? And, and this is really around, if you have a closed mindset in a certain context, how do we open it up? And the simplest way to think about that is, is, is looking at innovation across every element of the business model. So not just products and services, not just coming out of research and development or software development, uh, but also looking at, operations processes channels looking at how we configure so many innovations today are about working with suppliers and partners to service a common set of customers but with a greater and a broader offering set and profit models moving away from traditional transactional you know whole new business models software as a service and what have you subscriptions and recurring revenues and lifetime value so looking at innovation across the business is another thing that opens people's Uh, mindsets up when it comes to innovation. And everyone sees that they actually have a role to play. And it's not just about renaming what they do as innovation, it's actually stretching their thinking across the business model. Uh, And then deeper is that topic around um, getting beneath what people will say, getting beneath what customers will say. There's all these famous expressions like Henry Ford saying, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Uh, Davidography, people don't say what they think, they don't think what they feel, and they don't do what they say. Basically saying, you know, what people are thinking, feeling, and saying, and doing, it's hard to decipher. So we need tools to get beneath what people typically say, to understand some needs that they have, in any given context, that are unmet. And it's the unmet need, whether it's poorly met, unmet because it's hidden, are unmet because it's just a really tricky thing to solve, uh, if you're thinking about medicine or what have you. But when we identify those insights, that's what gives us the edge. Understanding something, seeing something, that others haven't seen uh, in that context, in that situation, and solving for that. People think of innovation, it's really to ideas, 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 but great ideas are always built on great insights. Seeing something in a new and a fresh way is where the edge is, and then building on that, and then continually testing those insights, um, rather than just going straight to launch, uh, and realizing yes the insight might have been good, but the application of it wasn't good enough for 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 a commercial uh, innovation.
1: Thanks so much, Ian, and I think you've just touched on it there as to how innovation can. a competitive advantage because obviously it's not just about streamlining your processes or inventing a new product but it's really about creating an advantage for your own business in the market where there are so many competitors out there so do you have any examples to mind of how innovation can be a competitive advantage for an organization or for a business
0: yes so i think when we think about it this is I'm glad you brought up the business life cycle in the beginning. Creating this new cycle of growth, um, you know, that is ultimately, uh, from a conceptual perspective, the definition of being able to do that again and again and again is the definition of, 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 of uh, you know, thriving as opposed to just surviving. And it's the definition of really, um, if it's at a high growth rate, um, and profitable of having a competitive advantage a competitive advantage is simply measured by you know given you're in one industry and i'm in the same industry and we're competitors but if i can continue to get a greater margin or profit than you then i have a competitive advantage what causes that competitive advantage is is that my offering if i have a greater margin is truly differentiated and demanded by others and therefore it's it's, it's more innovative so really having the whole framework that I mentioned, having your unique framework populated with your tools that are integrated in a way um, uh, that works for your company is, 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 is the capability for competitive advantage. And people will say it's you know, whether you have an advantage like in pharmaceuticals, whether I have a patent gives you an advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. But a lot of the work and competitive advantage is really focused on culture, capabilities, there's this term called dynamic capabilities, or ambidexterity, which has been able to protect and defend in the black space using incremental innovation, but also looking at big radical ideas and all the variations of gray in between. That's a capability that our framework um, supports and builds to do it again and again. And just like, you know, you, you want to improve your business, your products and your services, our advice, and hence the name of the book, is the framework can take you from where you are, point A, to where you want to get to, point B. And how high point B is and how fast the market is growing are all variables to the scale and the scope of change and ambition that you're going after. But it's the ability to, to get from A to B that builds the capability, which we call C. So it's kind of a double entendre. Getting from A to B requires you to build C, the capability, the framework you need for yourself. But to get to the next A to B, you know, at the end of that journey, if it was a 36-month journey where we've invested in innovation, we have to step back and look at our framework and said. Where can we improve it? What's new? What's going on now that we really need to invest in? What are the latest things that we need to look at? Are there new business models? What's going on with ESG and how is that relevant for us? And again, not just looking at products and services and formats. So, stepping back and reflecting, which you might call uh, academics call action learning, uh, um, stepping back our action research and saying what worked, what didn't, how could we improve it. Is actually creating your dynamic capability to take you to the next journey of A to B and that is, is, is my best shot at defining a competitive advantage in the innovation space is having that. Companies that have it, sure we can all say the Apple under Steve Jobs, really they had a you know multiple areas they were strong, design is something that they're known for um, but there's lots of other Irish companies here, Dawn Farm Foods, um, uh, PM Group is another company that comes to mind constantly growing doesn't seem like radical innovations at the time but constantly looking at new market areas new opportunities new services uh, and, 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 and growing their business uh, kind of incrementally but towards a vision of being something much bigger and bolder.
1: Thank you so much Ian I think we've Given our listeners today a lot of food for thought about bringing innovation into their organisations and how it's absolutely essential to be doing that all the time to stay competitive in today's marketplace. So thank you so much for joining us today on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, your preferred podcast provider, to ensure that you don't miss an episode. And if you did enjoy this conversation about innovation, I'd suggest that you go back to our SoundCloud and listen to our three previous episodes, which also covered innovation and creativity in business. Until next time.